0: Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer We want to look at God's Word today as we turn to James chapter 1. And I will read verses 1 through 8 here in just a little bit. One of the ways that I've learned to share the gospel and in turn how I've taught others is A method called the three circles. Obviously, it's called that because there's three circles. Pretty. One of the circles, the first circle that I was taught, you know, to draw, what it represents, is that we live in a broken world. Now, that might not shock anybody theologically, but sometimes we Christians we forget how broken this world really is and then when that brokenness seeps into our own lives it's like we're shocked it it, it upends us well how, how did this happen how could this brokenness happen to me because we think that the brokenness happens to other people we don't think it happens to us or it shouldn't happen to us i'm one of god's children i'm a christian brokenness shouldn't come near me but here's the thing we Are living in a broken world meaning we are part of the brokenness and we are affected by the brokenness and right now every single one of us is affected by that brokenness in some way I mean it's all different ways but we are affected by that brokenness for some the brokenness touches our bodies for others it touches our souls for some the brokenness is very open and public for others we suffer through the brokenness in silence now the bible uses the term trials trials are what we go through in the brokenness sometimes these trials come because of the brokenness within sometimes the trials come because of the brokenness of other people and they just their brokenness kind of falls on us sometimes there is brokenness because of creation it's cursed and so things happen you know we think of the the hurricane in florida it came because of the brokenness of the world and so we go through trials and just as christ at the cross redeemed us there is a sense in which Christ redeems our trials for some good. You know, He actually can use the trials in our lives for something. You might consider it a trial by fire. You know, the term trial by fire, it it refers to putting something under pressure and putting something through the fire so you can test its genuineness and you can purify it. You think of a refiner's fire. You take a hunk of rock, To see if there's precious metal in it and then the fire gets rid of all the dross all the impurities so that it has more value than what it had before it was in the fire well you know for very similar reasons we go through trials by fire james tells us a little bit about this james he's the brother of jesus he's an apostle in jerusalem he writes this epistle to encourage christians to view the trials of life, as opportunities for God to develop them, to grow them. You see, for the Christian, your trials are not meant to destroy you. They are not meant to discourage you. They happen so you learn. They happen so you grow. And so I want us to look at the trials we go through in the brokenness as just that. They are there to grow us. God allows the trials for our good and for our growth, right? That's what it means that he can turn these things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He will take the trials and do something with them in our lives. And and so I want us today to have a biblical and a healthy view of the trials that we go through. So let's dive deeper into James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these eight verses. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James writes this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that you use your word to give us some understanding about the brokenness and the trials that we go through. And may it all be turned to glory for you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So James begins his letter with something that, frankly, our human nature wants to rally against. We hear what he says, and we automatically become defensive over it. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials. Count it all joy when you meet trials. Has he done lost his mind? That's what we think. I mean, you read that and you cringe. Frankly, you want to find James and kind of have it out with him. Are you out of your mind, James? But you need to kind of restrain yourself. I mean, it, it, it seems ridiculous. It seems cruel. We have this knee-jerk reaction, fighting against that. But we got to restrain ourselves. We've got to hear him out. Listen to what it is that he says. Because where he's going with this is that trials have a value in our lives now for the unbeliever the trials the value of the trials is that it ought to drive you to faith in Jesus Christ it ought to drive you to seek out the answer to the brokenness that you're going through seek a savior but James here he's kind of honing in on the value for Christians and there is value for Christians as well when you go through these trials. I mean, yes, it drives us to the Savior as well. It should drive us to cling to Him. But he gives a further explanation. So I just want to consider some of the principles that we find in James that he talks about in these trials. And the first principle that he talks about in verses 2 through 4 is that God uses trials for our development. God uses these trials for our Development. I mean, yes, trials are kind of a natural consequence of the brokenness. And then we look at God, and God is good, and He is sovereign. And we begin to wonder, okay, so why would a good, sovereign God allow trials? Why would He allow the brokenness to begin with? But why would He allow trials? Or the way that we more likely put it is, why would a good, sovereign God, all-powerful God, allow evil? Or what seems evil in our sight? there's a lot of different possible answers to that but james gives us one possible answer i mean we're just glad he gives an answer of some sort and so under the inspiration of the holy spirit james says that god uses these trials to develop us it doesn't necessarily mean that god caused the trials although that's not out of the realm of possibility either but at a minimum god allowed the trials to happen why so we could learn and grow And so there's some characteristics that James mentions that I want to touch upon about this development, about this fact of trials in our life. First, our trials are diverse. He lets us know that our trials are are diverse. In in verse 2, James mentions that our trials are of various kinds because each of us are unique. And therefore, so are the trials that we face. God, you know, He he made us with specific personalities. He made us with specific purposes in mind. We have a purpose in the story of redemption. And God wants us to grow into that purpose. We have our own part. We have our own path. We have our own personality. We have our own dispositions. And, And so the trials we go through kind of fit those variables. God is moving us toward something. I mean, in a sense, there are some common elements to the trials that we all go through. But well, they're not all the same. Some of our trials, they might be physical. Because trials come in all shapes and sizes. Some might be physical. Some of our trials might be persecution. I mean, that's kind of what James's audience, original audience, was going through. And we're starting to get a taste of that in our day. Some of the trials might be the disasters that happen in a fallen world some might be crises that we go through some might be spiritual in nature we battle a particular besetting sin we battle this inner something going on and here's the thing God uses various trials for various people to get them to where he wants them God will use your trials to produce in you what he wants to produce in you and get you to where he wants you to go because you have a part in his plan. But we're not ready fully for every instance of that plan. And so he uses the trials to grow us, to develop us, so that we're ready to be a part. We're ready to take on that part that he has for us. And that's shown a little bit further in what else he says. So secondly, I want you to notice that our trials are deliberate. They're deliberate. You know, as as the cliche goes, there's method to the madness. We think what God might be doing is madness or something, but there are legitimate reasons for these trials because they bring about certain things in our lives that no other method would be able to achieve. And we might understand it better when we look at some of the words that James uses. So, for the word trial, the Greek word for trial literally means an attempt to learn the nature or character of something. The trials are learning the character of the one going through the trial. And then in verse 3, it talks about testing of faith. That word for testing means to test the genuineness of something, to see if it's authentic. So, So, the trials in our lives... Are deliberate in that they have a twofold purpose. They test to see if we have genuine faith in Christ, and they also attempt to determine what that faith is, is really made of. And so, in a sense, the trials are there to expose the truth, but not to expose us to God. God already knows what we're made of, God already knows who we are, God already knows how weak we are, God knows how strong we are a little bit. The trials aren't there to expose the truth to God. The trials are there to expose the truth to us so that we know what we are made of, that we can see what our faith amounts to. For some who might have spiritual pride, trials might be there to show you that you know what you're not all that and for those who think that their faith is small the trials might be there to expose to you that your faith is stronger than you think the trials are there to expose you to you you think of abraham and the trial that he went through of sacrificing his own son at least that's what he thought I mean, Abraham was distraught. He didn't know what he was going to do, but God knew what he was going to do. Abraham, through the trial, learned that he did have a complete faith and trust in God. He did trust that God would fulfill his promises, even if something didn't make sense. God would still fulfill his promises. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it reveals to us that Abraham believed, he came to this conclusion, that God would raise Isaac from the dead all right i'll go through with it but god made this promise that through isaac my seed is born i guess that means he's going to raise them from the dead he had that faith the trial exposed that faith a faith that abraham might not even known existed so the trials are deliberate and that they can they're a test so we can see what really exists within us but there's even more of a de- developmental purpose for this i want you to see third that our trials have a destination. They're moving towards something. These trials that are testing us, they're exposing us, that they're moving toward a destination. They have a goal in mind. First, in verse 3, it says that it produces steadfastness. That's the word that the ESV uses. You could use perseverance or endurance there. Trials develop us so that we persevere in the faith and not fall away. The trials are there to build our spiritual endurance within us so that down the road when we face more trials well you know what i've already gone through this i have faith in god it strengthened my faith i'm gonna mean god we're gonna endure through this so the the trials are deliberate uh, that they are going to help you endure what comes in the future and you know if we don't endure through this trial we're not ready maybe for this other thing that god is going to do for us or or it it develops this endurance so that we're ready to play the part in God's plan of redemption that he has for us. To play. Through the trials, God builds our endurance for greater things down the road. You know, you think about running a marathon. If you're going to run a marathon, you don't just wake up one day and think, you know what, there's a marathon going on downtown. I think I'm going to go and just run in that marathon. That just seems like a thing to do. I'm just in the mood to run a marathon. I don't know about you, I run about 10, 15 feet. I'll be already passing out. Why? I haven't been prepared for that particular test. I haven't been prepared for that to happen. I mean, if you're going to run a marathon, you need to be prepared years in advance. You do things to develop stamina and endurance. And our trials are that preparation. But even steadfastness, endurance is working toward something it says in verse 4 that steadfastness has a full effect when you become perfect complete lacking in nothing not not the perfect like you're thinking of it there's no way i'm ever going to be perfect in this life but the word perfect it's talking about attaining to your purpose getting to the purpose god has for you the goal that god has for you perfect and complete it talks about this wholeness where you are made to be the person God wants you to be to fulfill the plans that He has for you. You become the the man or the woman that God intended so you can fulfill your part of the plan, you can fulfill your purpose that God has intended. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you, and you might not be ready for it until you go through the trial. And so it's interesting, the trial is a test to see where your faith is at, what your faith is made of, but the trial also is the tool that is used to make your faith stronger. It exposes where you are, it exposes where you're going to be, and it's going to prepare you for where you're going to be. And these concepts are found throughout the New Testament. Several different writers write about this. This is the common theme. Your trials, your suffering are there to produce endurance so that it produces character, so that it it prepares you for what God has for you. So for example, in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, Paul wrote this. Not only that, but we we rejoice in our sufferings. There's that again. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because god's love has been poured into our hearts through the holy spirit who has been given to us i mean here you get paul too he's saying count it all joy when you suffer because it produces endurance which produces character and you go strong in christ but paul isn't the only one peter wrote about this in first peter in chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 he says in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here again, your trials refine your faith so that your faith, your life is led in such a way that results in the praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ. You're having a refined faith, builds endurance, builds endurance. You're building endurance toward fulfilling God's plan for his glory. And here's the thing, you would not be ready for that without the testing of the trials in life. There's a story about a man who found this cocoon of an emperor moth, and he took it home to watch it emerge. I mean, oh, this will be interesting. Watch this moth emerge from the cocoon. One day a small opening appeared and for several hours it looked this moth was struggling to get out. It seemed that it couldn't force itself past a certain point and so the guy thought he was going to be nice and he took some scissors and he opened the remaining bit of the cocoon, let the moth out. And so it came out, it had a really big fat body but its wings were small and shriveled. But he thought, you know what, in a few hours the wings are going to spread out and, you know, the moth will become the moth. But instead of developing into the creature that could fly, the moth spent its life dragging its swollen body along the ground with shriveled wings. Because you see, the constricting of the cocoon and the struggle that was necessary for that moth to get through the cocoon, it had a work where it would develop the wings. It would, pa- it would push these fluids from the body of the moth into the wings so that the wings would grow but because he didn't go through the struggle the wings never emerged the guy thought he was being merciful by opening up the cocoon but instead condemned that moth to doing nothing but walking around like a worm or a caterpillar because without the struggle the moth would not become a moth. Without the struggle, the moth would not become what the moth was created to be. And so it is with us. It's hard to hear. We don't like it. But God uses the trials in our life so that we become who he wants us to be, what we were created to be but now that doesn't mean that we just kind of follow blindly along wherever the currents of our trials may take us he does offer guidance in our trials so the second major characteristic that i want to talk about today is that god grants wisdom to navigate the trials we're not just going through the trials kind of blindly kind of flailing along god grants wisdom to navigate through the trials he tell, james writes about this in verses five through eight God wants to equip us for these times of trials by giving us godly wisdom so we're able to navigate this storm. Well, what what does James tell us about this wisdom that we are given? Well, first he talks about the fact that wisdom is deprived. He talks about wisdom deprived. In verse 5 in the ESV that I read from, it says, "...if any of you lack wisdom." But in the original language, it's written in such a way that it assumes that the reader lacks wisdom. Well, because you do lack wisdom, I mean, you are human after all, he's saying you don't have any inherent wisdom within you to equip you to deal with this. You have nothing within you. You don't have any natural tendencies or talents within you to help you navigate through this trial. It's assumed... When you go to a trial of in life you don't know what's going on you don't know what to do about it it should drive you to seek god because you are not prepared yes he's going to get you through it and he's going to test you and he's going to train you and he's going to prepare you through the trial but you're, you can't navigate it on your own. I mean, yeah, some people think when they get to a trial in life, they can just grit their teeth and bear it and kind of just plow through. But you try that, you usually come out worse for the wear. You cannot handle the trial on your own strength, in your own logic, so to speak. Because we we can't grasp what's going on because god's ways are so much higher than our ways and his thoughts so much higher than our thoughts i mean without going to god we don't know what he's doing we don't know where this is going what's the wh- where is this headed and so when we rely on ourselves i mean that's the exact opposite of wisdom and godly logic what the trial that we go through in life ought to do is cause us to run and fall at the feet of jesus at his throne to seek for this wisdom and strength lord i need strength i can't get through this trial on my own right what did paul say in second corinthians he he wanted to get he had some sort of trial and he's going on he asked god three times to get rid of it but he didn't but god said i want you to learn That my grace is sufficient not not your grace paul not your intelligence not your strength paul you need to learn that my grace is sufficient you need to learn that i'm the one you run to you need to learn that i am the one that can give you what you need to get through the trial and so you know, part of, the, part of the development is given through trials is a test and, and it, it refines our faith. I mean, so, you know, we're in this trial. Are we going to trust God or not? Are we going to turn to God or, or not? Because we lack wisdom to get through this storm. I, don't, I, don't, I can't get through this. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. We aren't. And so our trial ought to drive us to God to seek wisdom because we don't have it. We are deprived of that. And so we need God and so to, to navigate what we're going through. But thankfully, the second aspect that we see is wisdom dispensed. God gives that wisdom You know, so we naturally lack this wisdom to navigate the trial. James tells us, what does he say? He says, if you lack wisdom, and since you do, go ask God. Go to God in prayer and ask for wisdom of how to navigate the trial. Ask God what actions and words and attitudes you should take on while you're going through this trial. Ask God what direction he would have you go through. Ask God what choices he would have you make. Ask God what result in this would glorify Him the most. So we seek Him. But quite often, we don't ask for wisdom in those areas. Usually, when we're going through a trial, we focus in on one question and one question only, and it's, it's an obsession for this question. The only question we care about is why. Why me? Why is this happening to me? Because somehow I'm the exception to the rule. But if you've read your Bible, you will notice that very rarely does God answer the question of why. Because it's the wrong question. Read the book of Job. Not once does God explain to Job why. And we're kind of left in a lurch. All right, you put Job through all that, why? Well, we see what happened. We see what the result was after everything got through, but, but, but why? We read the story of Abraham being told, all right, yeah, take Isaac, go to that mountain and... Sacrifice them. We're really not told why. And so instead of asking why, we don't ask why. We ask the other questions. What? How? When? What do you want me to do in this trial? How do you want me to do whatever it is you want me to do in this trial? When do you want me to do whatever it is you want me to do in this trial? And the neat thing is, James says, God will answer you. It it, it says right here. You read it with me, right? Wisdom will be given to the one who asks. And the reason we know that, it's based on the character of God. Because it says that God gives wisdom generously. I mean, in one sense, it's talking about God's willingness. In another sense, it means you know he gives without ulterior motives he's he's wants to give wisdom and he's not expecting something in return he's not expecting a bribe you don't have to bribe god to try and get this wisdom god's willing to just give you wisdom if you ask and then it says that he gives without reproach i mean god is not going to demean you or fault you because you lack that wisdom he knows you lack that wisdom he's not going to demean you if you seek him for wisdom if you ask for that wisdom you lack the wisdom you ask for he he knows all that he wants you to come to him for wisdom so why would he turn around and insult you and make you feel bad because you're trying to find wisdom i mean if you are asking god to give you wisdom to navigate through the trial he's not going to look down his nose at you if, if god had a nose but you know he's not going to try and make you feel like an idiot for asking you know, people on the earth, they, they make you feel like an idiot for asking. You ever try and, like, ask a question or you're asking for something or maybe you're at a restaurant and you want to you make some substitutes on the menu and the people just look at you like, you know, they look down at you. They look at you like, why are you being so high maintenance? Why are you doing that? You know, you can only imagine in their minds they're thinking, what an idiot. Why are they making my life so much harder something like that? God doesn't do that. Yeah, humans, they do that. God doesn't do that. He delights in you relying on Him. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and it will be given to him. But there's a warning here. Kind of the third aspect of this wisdom thing is that there's wisdom doubted. There's wisdom doubted. James warns that when you ask for wisdom for the trial, do not doubt. You know, the doubt that it's warning us against is doubting God's word, doubting God's character. I mean, they kind of go together, right? I mean, God's word reflects God's character and God's character is an expression of his word or it's, you know, uh, is a reflection of his word. and it, 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 They go together. When you ask God for wisdom about your trial, don't think that you're only going through a useless ritual because God isn't a good God and he's not going to answer you anyway. Well, I mean, I'll ask, but he's not going to do it anyway, so I don't know what. why bother. You're doubting his word. You're doubting. When, we, when we're going through this trial, I mean, it should cause some self-reflection here. And maybe some repentance. If you're doubting, you're, you're showing why you need your faith refined. Maybe the trial you're going through is there to show you your faith is weak and it's designed to strengthen the parts that are weak. It's designed to build endurance in those areas. But James says, if you constantly doubt, don't expect to get an answer. Right? He says the double-minded person, the unstable person, shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. God will not answer a prayer for wisdom, and really any other prayer for that matter, if you doubt. If you doubt his word, if you doubt his character, you doubt he's going to fulfill his promises, you doubt he's good enough to do it. Yeah, theologically I might believe he has the power to do it, But I doubt that he actually will do it. I mean, imagine you're in a store and and your kid says to you something to this effect. Well, you know what? I I want to ask you for this candy bar, but I doubt you'd give it to me because you're just an unloving tyrant who likes to make my life as miserable as possible. I mean someone you know comes to you with that kind of attitude your first response is like oh sure i'd love to give you that candy bar no you're right you ain't getting that candy bar with that attitude disrespecting me like that and what of course not aren't we doing that to god when we doubt him I mean, we're saying, I doubt God will actually do what he says he will in his word, which translates into, I find God to be unreliable and he doesn't fulfill his promises. Why would God answer that? Instead, even when he doesn't fit our timetable, even when he doesn't fit our schedule, you trust God will answer the prayer as he sees fit and when he sees fit to answer it. And you trust in him. There's a whole lot going on in in this passage here. But know this. God will use the trial to develop you. To test you, to reveal some things to you, to prepare you for what he has for you. And if you ask, he will give you the wisdom to navigate that trial. And he's using all of it to get you to where he wants to go. I want you to consider this. There's a pastor who wrote this, and this is a good consideration. If Joseph had not been Egypt's prisoner, he would never have been Egypt's governor. The iron chains about his feet usher in the golden chains around his neck. It's moving, using the trials to move you toward something. I mean, he's allowing this trial for something and it's not to drive you away from him i mean god's not there saying kind of trying to push you away he's trying to force you to come to him and so let's face it we're all going through trials of various sorts various intensities come to the altar lay your burden at his feet and ask from him what it is he wants you to learn from this what he is he wants you to take from this how you can be refined, how your faith can be refined as you face this trial. Ask Him for wisdom. Ask Him for comfort. Ask Him for strength because He's the only one that's going to be able to give it to you. You don't have it within you. And it's, even though we, as your brothers and sisters in Christ, we can encourage you, we don't have it within us either. There's only one who can give you the wisdom and the strength and the comfort and that's God alone but listen to me if you are not a Christian God is using that trial in your life for you to seek him because Jesus Christ is the only healer of the brokenness you know talking about the three circles so where does these circles lead the brokenness of the world And even though we try and deal with the brokenness in so many different ways, it doesn't get us out of the brokenness. The only way out of the brokenness is through Jesus Christ who came down from heaven. He died on the cross. He rose again so that all who repent and trust in him will be restored. Only Jesus Christ can restore you to the life that was originally intended by God before sin entered into the world. Only Jesus will heal the brokenness believe and trust in Him today. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest_HBC. underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltre Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.